Please turn in your Bibles to Ruth, the book of Ruth. We will be going over the whole of chapter 2. That is right after Judges, of course, and before 1 Samuel, the book of Ruth, chapter 2. It is quite long as well, so please stand if you are able. Ruth 2. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, What have I... Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land, and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward will be given by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied. And she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles from her, for her and leave it uh, for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, "'Where did you glean today?' And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the, daughter, the, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her, her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my, all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with this, the, his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. 
So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated. I didn't have an introduction planned for this morning, uh, but I have one now. The Lord, uh, was, I was thinking of it, and I think this one is, is fairly appropriate. Chance in the discipline of history is something of a problem. History is, is almost considered by the scientific community as something of a pseudoscience. The reason why this is is because it's all subjectively, by their way of thinking, manufactured. They take this fact and that fact, and they say, this has meaning for this, this has meaning for that. There's a reason why they consider wars to be such an important thing for them in history. Those wars are objective. They're easily seen. They're easily pointed to when they start and end. But accidents, chance, is something of a problem for history. Where does it come from? Where does it go? Is it that fate is actually in control of history? Or are men and their actions actually in control of history? At least for history, the study of history, the secular study of history, I think this is an unsolvable problem. But as we go into Ruth, Ruth 1 and Ruth 2, we see something different than just this chance and arbitrariness being in control of all history and of all of our life. Ruth 2 answers actually the questions that history or the discipline, secular discipline of history has. So let's go into this section of Ruth 2 by first going into introducing this place in covenant history that we're in, in Ruth. Before going to Ruth 2, let's review our covenantal, our biblical context. Again, we're in the time of the judges, a time of utter anarchy and chaos, 150 years before David's peaceful kingdom. Ruth 1 started with the tragedy of Naomi's life. She left her her home with her husband, who promptly died to Moab. And then soon after, her only two sons died in a foreign land, and she was left with only one daughter-in-law, Ruth, who came with her, a foreigner, a Moabitess. She came to Bethlehem with Naomi, and amid all that tragedy, where Naomi even renamed herself Mara, which means bitterness, amid all that tragedy, we saw God was powerfully working, God blessed his people with grain, blessed him with a barley harvest, and calls Naomi home and also changed the heart of a once idolatrous Moabitess, Ruth, into a heart of faith toward Yahweh, even if she did not fully yet understand the faith that she had. Ruth 4 shows us the context of the whole of this book and helps us in Ruth 2, that God is powerfully working to achieve his goals in history through, through his kings and through his kingdom for salvation, even amidst all this chaos. That is, the book of Ruth is not only Ruth's story, not only Boaz's story, it is primarily the, primarily the story of a kingdom, especially of Ruth and Boaz's grandchild, that is, David the king. This is also the case for the book of Samuel, as we'll see when, once we get there. The author wrote this book, again, at least 150 years after the events of the book of Ruth happened, so that he's looking at these events through the lens that the future gives. This is a very important thing for us to remember. These events are filled with the knowledge of the future. 
and the perspective that David's kingdom gives. Why am I trying to get you to in this, or what am I getting you to in this long introduction here, this context of Ruth 2? I'm proving that Ruth 2 is not only a mundane story, so to speak, that is, a story just of everyday life, but it is also a story of how that everyday life is filled with God's plans, his kingdom action, filled with God's meaning and intention for his kingdom and his king. It should fill us with hope that every action of a destitute, homeless, ancient Near Eastern woman is a story which God finds important enough to put in our Bibles. And even more so, place this story in the grand story of redemption in Jesus Christ as Jesus' ancestor. Ruth is Jesus' ancestor. But this is the further point that Ruth 2 brings out to us. All this we had somewhat seen in Ruth 1. We will see it more clearly in Ruth 2, but Ruth 2 brings this out. Not only is everyday life filled with meaning, but even the things we might call accidental or things we cast off as trifles, those things are filled with meaning. That is, not only are the great events of history meaningful, not only are the everyday events meaningful, but even the seemingly chaotic events are filled with meaning. Everything has meaning in God's world and plan because it is filled with his intentions for redemption and his glory. And therefore, history is filled with something far more than just mere meaning, as Ruth 2 will show us. Everything is filled with God's personal, sovereign, electing power. God has always worked for the good of those who love God, for those called according to his purposes. And here we get into our text. Let's get into the first scene that is given to us very quickly. Ruth and Naomi are back in Bethlehem and completely destitute. However, all around them is food, food that they do not own, but food itself, The barley harvest has just started, and we learn that at the end of Ruth 1. Ruth asks permission from Naomi in verse 2, Let me go to the field, and let me glean in the the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. Naomi, in her destitute and sorrowful state, only says two words in Hebrew. Go, my daughter, translated in English. She's destitute. It seems she has no hope. Ruth may or may not know this, but... Gleaning is commanded as a right of the poor and the destitute in Israel. God says this in Leviticus 19, 23, and Deuteronomy 24. Here's what Leviticus 23 says. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. This is not a well-known law, even to us. And in this time of chaos, I can only imagine it was even less known. So it's quite amazing that Boaz knew this law. We'll see that as we continue on. But verse 3 is a focal point in this story. Ruth goes about in a foreign land, in a foreigner's barley field, and she just so happens, by accident, to come upon the field of Boaz, which verse 1 literally describes as a great man. Translated well as a worthy man, but also a very wealthy man of the clan of Naomi's dead husband, Elimelech. The Hebrew in this verse is untranslatable in verse 3. Literally something like, and she chanced upon her chance. 
The words chance and accident are being bolded in this verse for sure. It's the same word twice, right after another. So as we get to our first section, random acts of God's personal sovereign plan or God's appointed chance, the first section here. The, the author of this book is obviously trying to tell us something with this double word. First, certainly he is trying to communicate that Ruth did not engineer this meeting between Boaz and herself. Notice that Naomi, who we'll find out later in chapter 3, is something of a conniving matchmaker herself, tells Ruth nothing about Boaz. And Ruth only comes to Boaz after being in other fields the first part of the day, and only, as it were, by chance. That is, she didn't do it with any ulterior motives. She did it without knowledge. In fact, this becomes very clear in verse 19, where it's revealed that Naomi didn't put her up to this at all. Naomi asks, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. She asks, wanting to know who this man was. At this point, Ruth has bags of grain to bring into their starving bellies, and she's rejoicing. But she didn't know who it was, if it was Boaz or anyone else, until Ruth answered in verse 19 and 20. This was called an accident because first, Ruth and Naomi didn't plan for it, and they didn't intend to get close to Boaz, a wealthy man or a worthy man. It wasn't from their artifice or ulterior, ulterior motives. However, it's called a chance or an accident. Secondly, because she chanced upon a chance, because although Ruth and Naomi may not have had ulterior motives, God had ulterior motives. Yes, ulterior motives for her blessing in this. It's almost like a, a light bit of sarcasm from this author in this section who repeats these words like, oh yes, certainly, completely by chance, seriously, all chance, wink, wink. This is the second thing that the author is trying to communicate. Nothing is by chance. Naomi realizes this in verse 19, thanking God for this thing, this chance meeting, so to speak, of Boaz directly tying this blessing to that, to God himself, saying, may Boaz be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness is not forsaken, the living or the dead. It is the Lord who did this. Naomi realizes this is a, a providence exclusively from God's hand. Our text in its entirety makes it very clear that nothing in this story was an unconscious decision of impersonal forces of chance or atheistic fate. No, this is a personal, self-conscious God doing these things behind this so-called accident. So to return our story to our story, this is the second section, the responsible faith of Boaz and Ruth. So now we have seen, we've set the scene, set the accident that has come about. Now let's see these actors, the prime actors in this accidental quote-unquote meeting in verses 4 through 18. Boaz, the wealthy man that we see in Ruth 2.1, who surely has more fields than just this one, comes entirely by accident, once again, to the field that Ruth only arrived in that day. We see this in the verse, verse 4. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. The writer of Ruth, by the way, you, we see this all over the, uh, the place in this story, is a wonderful writer of a short story. We see immediately that Boaz respects his workers, and his workers respect him. They bless one another. And second, we see that Boaz is a man of God. 
He greets through God's holy name, and he influences others for good. That is, his workers in the chaos of the time of the judges, even some of the worst times, answer in God's name as well. This is a man of quality. It is well known. If your workers can speak well of you, then you are a good man indeed. God, in his sovereign plan, prepared Boaz for this day through his righteous actions before this day. God is about to reward him for his righteousness, his righteousness through faith, his faith in God. It is interesting, then, that we see Ruth, the Moabitess, as well, as a comparison, being blessed. She surely is being blessed for her industriousness, surely. She goes to work, and as verse 7 says, even Boaz's workers have recognized that she works hard. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest, says verse 7. But we must remember, Ruth has only been an idolater up until the events of Ruth 1. Where God rewards righteous faith in Boaz, Ruth has been evil until this time in her life. God rewarded old righteous faith in Boaz, but Ruth has new faith. She has been changed by God's spirit in Ruth 1, but it shows just how generous God is towards his people, no matter how long they have been a Christian. There's no seniority in terms of blessing from God. God is gracious and seeks to bless the greatest and the weak, the old and the new. We must learn this, beloved, that any action we take, even small steps towards faithful living, as we see in this former idolater in Ruth, will be used by God in some way to bless us. So great is his mercy and grace and love in Christ. We see this with Ruth. But God had obviously been preparing Ruth and Boaz before this chance encounter, as we've seen. But Ruth is almost the consummate, righteous, destitute Hebrew. And Boaz, the consummate, righteous man of wealth. Let's examine the righteousness of this man of wealth, especially here, as we we see the faith of Boaz. Boaz tells Ruth in a phrase of Hebrew tenderness and showing that he is, in fact, older than this woman. Listen, my daughter, he says. Do not glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that you are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Brothers and sisters, what is wealth for? We see it here. It's for this. It's to have something to give. Boaz was selective in his giving, yes, talking to his young men beforehand, making sure that she was in need and she was going to work. However, after this, he gives absolutely abundantly to her. And see here the context of these verses. He tells her not to go to any field and see, I have told them not to touch you. This, although this is a wonderful story told from the viewpoint of David's time, it certainly is a time of danger. He provides protection. He provides water and food. And he does this all in tenderness. He even invites her, a poor, destitute woman, to eat with his workers. He overcomes the awkwardness and the prejudice that comes from being a Moabitess and gives her food and comfort and even friends to enjoy communion in a new nation, knowing absolutely no one. This is a man of quality indeed, as verse 1 says. This is what wealth and power are for, Christians, to bless others, especially the destitute. But let's also look at Ruth, the second actor in this section. And this is the the righteousness of Ruth. 
the poor woman. To quickly go over what she does and says, allow me to say quickly four things. She respects and honors Boaz, even falling on her face before him, even as a destitute woman. She did not argue that she was worthy of Boaz's help. We see this in verse 10 and 13. She called herself a stranger and realized everything that she was given was a gift and not her due because she was not one of his servants. Verse 13. She gratefully came to him and was grateful not only for the gifts but also for his kindness and treats Boaz not as a means to an end but as a person worthy of honor. And this is someone who is a subordinate, the lowest of society. That is, if someone gives a gift, especially if you are in need of it, thank them, as Ruth does not take it as her due, as some kind of payment for being poor, as many might say today to a rich man, well, it's about time that you gave this to me. No, she does not say that. No, she did not even overuse Boaz's kindness in this Notice that she ate her fill in verse 14 when he gave grain and then rose up to work again, asking no more. And she gleaned until the very evening, verses 15 through 16 say. Those in a destitute place ought not to assume things will be given to them. But even as Ruth, we ought to seek to be industrious and to work. And as Boaz, we should be giving to others. She worked so hard and Boaz was so generous that she brought back to Naomi an ephah of barley, which is at least 30 pounds, if not 50, in verse 17. Why did this happen, Naomi? Why did this happen to Ruth? Boaz tells us the reason. In verse 11, and especially verse 12, all that you have have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, says Boaz to Ruth. And how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. Verse 12, the Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward will be given you from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. This is the election of God in action, brothers and sisters. Even before God's children come to him, the course of their life is not left to arbitrariness or chance. The Lord repays even the smallest step towards him, but it is God who directs our steps toward him. Boaz had faith, and Ruth had faith, regardless of background, and Boaz tells us of her faith, what it was like. The Lord was her refuge. Not Israel, not Naomi. The Lord was her refuge. God elects us in this, in our faith. And then he ordains every cause Even as she clung to Naomi, that was a cause to bring her to faith in Christ, to bring her faith in God, the Messiah of God. And every circumstance directs us towards him. The Lord elected Ruth, and he ordained the death of her husband, the barley harvest, the chance meeting of Boaz, and every other event here. God lets nothing stand in his way to get you to himself in repentant faith. What God requires of us, he provides, and we walk in it. That is, God does not only call, his electing love drives us to him in repentance and faith that we do in our own selves. And like Ruth, he drives us again and again, once we have taken refuge in him, to more and more blessing. We are driven by God's love to more and more blessing. 
These words are for you, believer. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. We are those people who run to God if we are Christians in faith and trust, just as Ruth did. She forsook everything for the kingdom of Israel, and God blessed her for her faith. Boaz gives context to Ruth's decision. She did not do it only for Naomi. She follows first now Yahweh, not Naomi. She knew that the Lord was king over Israel, and that that king was worthy, not only worthy, but gracious, as has been shown The wings of our Lord, if they are not strong enough to take refuge, are strong enough to destroy us as well. They are strong enough for our refuge, and they are also strong enough to destroy us. But see the tenderness of the Lord in this image. He is our hiding place, our hope in every circumstance, but especially in our distress like Ruth and Naomi. God is powerful enough to save, but tender enough to save as well, and he uses us for that. And his history is filled with Ruth's, that is, in fact, the whole of the Old Testament kingdom, filled with the destitute who run to Christ, run to God. He provides the refuge, and he provides the kingdom, and he provides the king. And wonder of wonders, this powerful king did not stop with David, a mere earthly king. David was powerful, and he was tender, and he was a king after God's own heart, yes. And this is where Ruth points to David, but just as we are the hope of Ruth was not in David. Just as the hope of David was not in David himself, Israel's hope was in Christ. This is the last section. Earthly redemption in Boaz, but complete redemption in Christ. Christ knew what history and Ruth pointed to because he directed history, his work and fulfillment. Matthew 5 says this, I have come to fulfill the law and the prophets. So says Jesus All of Ruth and all of history is about Christ and his church. Boaz, in all his tenderness and authority, in all of his greatness, to an idolater, to a former Moabitess, is a type of Christ. He prefigures Christ in this work that he is doing here. It is in Christ that we see the tenderness of God and the power of God for salvation fully displayed. And it is Christ who has elected us, even through the chance, accidental happenings of this world, so to speak. Ephesians 1 says this, We have been predestined according to the purpose of Christ, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we might be to the praise of his glory. All things, brothers and sisters, accidents, tragedies, even the smallest step towards God as our refuge, all things that we might be to the praise of his glory. It is not by chance that Boaz took thought, every thought captive and applied his heart to do even the most esoteric and small law of gleanings that even his workers knew about and taught. And God used his minute faithfulness to bless Israel and to save Israel through Ruth's offspring. But notice, Boaz realizes his blessings are neither by chance nor by his own manufacturing. It is God's gift to those who have faith, as he says, even to Ruth, who take refuge under his wings. He did not have faith in himself or his work or his money. He had it on God and his work. And also notice that Boaz is a type of Christ. 
in him being a kinsman redeemer, as we see it's introduced in verse 20, and we will continue with this in the coming two weeks, but it's introduced in verse 20 as a kinsman redeemer. What is the main thing that's being said here as we will continue on in the the coming weeks and get it a little bit finer, but what's the great large thing that's being shown here? We will look at this far more, but the kinsman redeemer was to keep the hope of Israel alive. At its greatest, most general way of thinking, it was God's provision for Israelites who were so close to death, they needed salvation like Ruth and Naomi. The line of Elimelech was as good as dead, just as we are outside Christ dead. But he sent a kinsman redeemer. Naomi and Ruth could not continue the line on their own, and they were old and foreigners, so they had no prospects in life. Just as we are and were before faith, we have no prospects and no hope. But Boaz comes and provides for them and later redeems them all from a chance meeting. Do you see, Christian and non-Christian, if you are elect of God, he will use every molecule of creation to save you and bring you safely, even if old and destitute like Naomi, so great his love, before him in perfect blessing. But Christ not only provides for us, he has given us something far greater than something of a provision in this life. So says Christ, do not worry about what you will eat or what you will wear, but seek first the kingdom and all else will be added unto you. So seek first the kingdom, brothers and sisters, not a mere brick and mortar kingdom of this life, this earthly life. Don't seek an earthly Boaz for your salvation. Seek first the kingdom whose builder and founder is God. Where Boaz is certainly a great man, verse 1, Christ is the God-man. Where Boaz saves and provides until Ruth's death, Christ saves to the uttermost those who trust in him. Just as Ruth and Boaz did, Christ's provision is infinite, an infinite redemption through his life, his death, his resurrection and ascension. And it is through faith in him that we are partakers of this and have all that we need for life and godliness. So brothers and sisters, let us look for provision in Christ and look at every fact, even accidents, as filled with the meaning of God's plan in Christ Jesus. Let us go to him in prayer. Our Lord, we thank you that you are not directed by fate or accidents. It is not above you, O Lord. We thank you that you are above time and space, the absolute God in utter, complete control. And we thank you, Lord, that you have given us new hearts, that we might live in the freedom of our will according to our nature. Lord, that in this we might be like Boaz and Ruth and have faith in you and have faith in your provision as you continue to provide for us on this earth. We pray, Lord, that we might take up our cross and follow after you. Lord, that even as the world seeks to destroy us, we might see your provision. We might see that you give us in our destitute state all that we need. And even more so, you have given us eternal redemption in Christ that we might see him and we might see him as he is and he will see us in sweet communion for all eternity. Lord, we pray that we would be not merely people of this earth, that we would not think of things in terms of mere chance, 
but Lord, we would look at history and even the small things of our life through the lens of Ruth, the lens of utter meaning. We thank you, Lord, for your grace. We thank you that we can look to Christ. We pray that you would come soon. And we ask all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.